Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Dr. Kidd, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it has come to this. Ooh, it has come to this. It has. We're here to do another full two hours on (laughs) Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is just going to become... No, Eric, hold on now. Hold on now. You said we were going to do a little addendum to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before we get to talk about today's main feature, which is The Hitcher. Two movies I associate directly, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and... The Hitcher. They go hand in hand. Well, they don't make them like The Hitcher anymore. We watched a hitchhiking double feature. And, uh, <laughs> that's true. There is a bit of hitchhiking in <laughs> Once Upon a Time. We're going to just talk about the hitchhiking parts of, of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> a lot of hitching. Uh, I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. We are the uh, world's first and foremost movie podcast. True. Uh, it's, it's about true. time. And uh, we're here Finally. to specifically talk uh, about movies. That's yes. all we're going to do today. We aren't. That's it. We aren't fenced in by your traditional movie genres. No, we just talk about one genre eighty percent of the time. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about a thriller from the eighties uh, today. But first, uh, Eric and I, we've already talked at length about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One of my favorite episodes. That and we did. Uh, yeah, go back. If you haven't heard it, go back and soak that one in. Uh, it's a nice long one. So. It's pretty exhaustive, but we <laughs> still got a few more things to say, apparently. <laughs> apparently, this movie, this we, movie uh, yeah. uh, I don't know where where you heard, where you'd picked up last time. I've now seen this movie in the theater five times. Yeah, that's insane. Shattering my previous record of three for Con Air. Now, I've seen this movie <laughs> a sensible four times. Right. I'm not insane like you I'm are. officially into like, all right, we're out of fingers on this hand. That's you it. You go again. we got to raise we're the in, second we're hand. We're two-handing it now. We, well, we, we, we will be two-handing this movie, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, once it's at Third Street, I'm going. But Yeah, but, uh, seeing this movie for four times in the theater, that's definitely not something I do very often. Um, but this movie I, is just... The most fun I've had watching a movie in a theater in maybe a decade. You know? Yeah. I, it's hard to think of the last time that I've been so engrossed in watching a movie. And uh, it never gets old. It flies by. This fourth time seeing it, fastest it, yeah. time it's gone by I yet. told I told you that. By the time we cut to the six months later yeah. jump ahead, I was like, oh, shit, we're like 20 from the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're two hours deep into I this I like, hadn't even opened up my popcorn <laughs> yet. <laughs> I've literally just been hanging out, sipping a beer. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, we are in the home stretch, baby. Like, so, this yeah. thing just keeps getting quicker and quicker. I am someone who... I rewatch movies, but usually if it's something I want to soak up either because I know we're going to talk about it or I just want to like re-experience right away after like one of our movie days where maybe I was, right, you know, 20% distracted. Sure. I want to just watch it again to pick it up. I did it with Brotherhood of Satan. Right. I usually do it with one movie. Uh, but but new movies in the theater, I find myself a big blockbuster or a, a big movie that comes out. I see it the one time in the theater. I go, nice experience. Maybe I'll watch it later on Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm never compelled, like, even, you know, maybe maybe some the, the Dark Knight movies from Christopher Nolan. I definitely okay. saw more than once. But 
I'm thinking Christopher Nolan, even like Interstellar, these big, mm. mm-hmm. you know, Inception. Saw it the once, great movie experience. Got to see it on the big screen, one and done. Good yeah. for me. This one, yeah, there are four times now. Crazy. Yeah, this year I definitely have started going to the movies in the last year or two more than I ever have. Yeah. spurned by the affordability of third street cinemas thank you and my realization that i just love movies so much more uh i i i get so much easy distracted easier yeah. at home right uh i can pause it whenever i want i can go and i have a stupidly large home movie collection you do you have also have a room of your home devoted to i have a i have a room devoted but it's uh, yeah the, it's a uh, little, it's the movies sensitive. are a lot bigger, so you yeah. Know, uh. <laughs> but so I love watching movies at home, but I it's to the point where I cannot deny I soak up a movie t- twice as much if I'm seeing wow. it in the theater. Twice as much, you know? It's dark. It's <laughs> no, a I know gigantic screen that I'm not tempted to look away from for other stuff. I don't have my laptop <laughs> right in there, you know. Uh, it's I just get deeper into a movie. I yes. got I got earlier this year when we saw the Terminator. Oh, right. I was just enveloped in that movie. The first time we saw Us, mm-hmm. like I'm getting soaked through and through with these flicks in a way that I've not really before. So it's very exciting. So I've seen, I saw Us a couple times in the theater. I saw Midsummer. I saw right. Booksmart, which I really loved. <laughs> um, so I saw each of those twice this year. Once in a new release theater, and once again at Third Street. Right. The cheap theaters. Third Street Cinema. It's super cheap and worth it. <laughs> it's, it's a good buy. Uh, it's but, the best deal in town. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is still at the major Cineplex, and I've now yes. seen it five times. Yep. yep. I can't stop seeing it. I love it more and more each time. I'm, And, and it, this tinge of sad hit me. This, last time. this actual sadness hit mm. me when I'm sitting there in our recliners. And yep. I'm just engrossed in this movie. And I thought, in like two months, I'm never going to see this movie in a theater again. Oh, now, come on. That's why I'm looking. You know, you know it'll come back, yeah, right? in like 20 <laughs> years. Maybe this will be the one, like Rocky Horror. When we're Horror. in, a, when like we're in an apocalyptic Horror, be... wasteland in 20 years, I mean, fighting I'll... over water rights. We'll talk to Neil. Uh, we'll have Third Street do a, a weekly midnight showing of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He just needs us to curate. A third street <laughs> movie night. We we should just take over the whole theater. Is actually what just should happen. Not charge admission, so we don't so we don't have to pay rights to movies. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, they can still make concession money. But so once upon a time in Hollywood, we did do a very exhaustive episode, and it's no secret how much we're in love with this movie. There's practically zero chance another 2019 movie is going to surpass it as it, my favorite. It Even would be very we, surprising. We to still me. have several you know more what? months. The Lighthouse might do it. Lighthouse the seems thing, cool. The thing I'm seeing from The Lighthouse has got me very intrigued. I think that's going to be one I definitely see more than once. But anyways, we're going to talk. say the Joker movie. Tarantino. Yeah, <laughs> definitely the Joker. We're done here, everyone. I've already got no. tickets for three separate showings yeah. of Joker. Is um, it just Joker? Joker? The Joker? Who knows? Joker. Who cares? So there's still a few little tiny parts. All right. Give me your give me, give me your addendums here. Just little things that little things that I love that I wanted to just okay talk about you got notes here this is one of the only times i've taken notes actually for this usually i wing it for good or for better or for worse yeah, you guys tell us <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and uh but this time i was like no i want to talk about a couple of these things 
I love that Rick Dalton has one of his movie posters in his home parking spot. Yes, in the driveway. Just like he's advertising a fact that a movie star lives in this <laughs> Well, house. not just a poster, the, the extreme close-up part of the poster, I assume, yeah, blown up and face. painted yeah, on a giant uh, wooden sign, it, it, it like appears. Held, blocked with concrete blocks yeah. so it doesn't <laughs> blow in the wind. He just has in front of his home parking space in his driveway. A pretty big boss. old face of him. It's pretty boss. That is insane. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't do that? If you're Rick fucking Dalton? You know, <laughs> I think I would have, I would definitely have inside the way he has oh, yeah. his posters from all his movies. Plus, just how gorgeous 50s through 70s movie posters look. I mean, the the artwork is The fabulous. art is so wonderful. I mean, you can't blame him on that front. It's, it's a nice uh, rendition of him. In some sort of mid, you know, struggle, some Western struggle yeah. that he's in, yeah. But so obviously, my place would be filled with framed copies of my favorite posters that I of movies I was. Oh in. yeah, obviously Absolutely. I would do that. But I don't think I would hang a banner <laughs> outside of my home. Fair enough. Of one of my posters, that uh, I think at that point I'd be like, you know what. I did eight seasons of Bounty Law. Yeah. Like, I'm going to... You know what would have been awesome is if uh, the scene where Cliff drives home to the trailer the first time you see a That's giant like... uh, painting of Cliff in front of the trailer. <laughs> His whole trailer has an airbrushed Cliff and uh, Brandy yeah, on the side of like it. That. It's like, oh, this is just what people did. Oh, this is... Their domicile. It was the style of the time. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> the big clear. Oh yeah, I got a buddy who does uh, does mural oh, yeah, paintings. Yeah, we get him on the cheap. Yeah, Everyone's just, got he one. Just practiced on my trailer. Hooked it up. Oh my god. <laughs> well, now I know the movie's not perfect. You've really <laughs> There's always I, room for improvement. Yeah. Wow. Now I know. It's, it's worse to no, know. That would have been too much. Also, you mentioned mm-hmm. the drive to cliffs. Pretty sure you leaned over and you said this before. You're like, I think this might be my favorite part of the yeah. movie. Yeah, what's great about, um, I still get chills in the exact same spot of that scene where he's driving and it cuts to that, uh, kind of the wider shot before mm-hmm. it goes into him close first and you, you see the lights and the the uh, the song that plays, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but yeah, it's like Goosebumps, the same exact moment every time. Uh-huh. He's like, kind of like... He's got me. Weaving, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hook. Like, Tarantino's I think that he's got like me driving wiggling. like a stuntman. Oh, yeah. He's not putting people's lives at danger, but you can tell, like, this guy is someone who's kind of looking for thrills in the few places he can get them now. Yeah, he's driving like a maniac, but it's all concentration on his face. You can see it. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's not casually looking about the way he does when he's, he drives Rick around. When he's driving Rick around, he's, like, leaning back in the seat, mm-hmm. one hand on the wheel. When he's driving himself, it's, like, gear, gear. You yeah, know, it really gears. gave me the feel of him it's working totally on his, person. like, muscle memory. Even though yeah. he was a guy not working much anymore? Or it's just like him dropping that veil. You know, he's kind sure. of got that friendly buddy veil in front of Rick. And then he's just got, got the stone face in that scene where he's driving. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we get a whole, like, I, I like that little, that's our one glimpse into, like, private life Cliff. In the trailer and yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. The rest of the movie is him either on errands for Rick Mm-hmm. You know, picking up Rick, hanging out with Rick. That's our one like. Ah, oh, he doesn't really. Uh, he doesn't really socialize time. with uh, a lot right. of others. It seems like. Right, you get that. 
Like, Rick is not just his good friend. He doesn't play well with other people. Rick might be his (laughs) only friend, but he's not a guy who's moping about the fact that he doesn't have a lot of friends. Do you think Cliff is maybe hiding out from the law? Because he he talks about the law always trying to get him, or Uh jail always wanting to get him. We know he killed his wife. Yeah. (laughs) He's hiding behind a drive-in. Oh, you still... You believe that? <laughs> he's a goddamn war hero. Yeah, he's a goddamn war hero, Anyways. Randy. So, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that until, yeah, we know he killed his wife and got away <laughs> with it. Movie's pretty clear about that. There's a, there's a general consensus that that is true. We know he broke a cop's jaw and mm. did two weeks on a chain gang in Houston. Is that what he says? Uh-huh. Okay. I did two weeks in a Houston chain gang. I thought he said something like he said that about the chain gang and then... I thought the comment after that was that he was stunting on a show. Like, that was his stunting on a no, show. No, But he it, says it, he punched it, a cop. He I, turned to one of the gals and said... And that's when... Um, I, I forget her name. Andy McDowell's daughter. The girl that he hitches out to oh, Spawn Ranch. Right, right, right. Um, pussy. Yes. Pussycat. <laughs> uh, he says that to her, the line about the cop's jaw. And that's when she, like, licks her lips and is like, Oh, man. Oh, Charlie's going to gotcha. love you. He gotcha. just talked about see, doing now time I have for to punching s- a pig. Now I have to see it for a fifth time to yeah. catch that because that always went right over my head. Yeah, yeah, love it. And okay. uh, so yeah, so yeah. and he says He's clearly a few. And he from says the to law. her that they've been trying to put me away yeah. for all my life. <laughs> I was like, yep, he might be laying low. I'm, not, I'm just now realizing that. But I love, I love that he leaves the TV on in his trailer for mm-hmm. Brandy. Oh sure, he comes home and you get Robert Goulet singing MacArthur Park. It's great. The fakest sounding song in history. Yeah, it's hard to believe that's a real song. That people enjoyed unironically. Someone left the cake out in the rain. Like, man, people... That sounds like quite an opulent lifestyle. Yeah. That this song is referring to. I think I remember having heard the Weird Al version first as a kid. Jurassic Jurassic Park. Park. And then my mom trying to explain like the song that it was parodying. And me being like... That doesn't sound right. I, I don't think that's a real song. Same experience. <laughs> All the other songs I buy, obviously, I know what beat it is. And, <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I don't think there was really a MacArthur part. That doesn't yeah. sound like a song. My dad, I remember <laughs> his reaction playing the the Weird Al CD, and he even did a like. He's like, he made a comment more. It's like this song's 20 years old. Yeah. Like what is he <laughs> like? Is it, right. Who's this parody song for? Yeah. Like, yeah, like what a weird. Like a 25-year-old? Oh, my God. We're about to go off on a Weird Al rant, which let's save that for the UHF episode. Oh, my God. Because we're definitely going to have to do an episode on that movie. It's arguably the movie I've seen more than any other movie. Oh, okay. Anyway. Anyways. And back so I to just this. love you. She's, Back to the just, notes. Let me just put on this Goulet performance. Oh, uh, well, so much of the movie, especially the first half, is so driven by what they're listening to on the radio, on the TV. And it really struck me this time, the last time watching it, that... They're mostly hearing jingles. You think they're hearing like the radio, but yeah, it's but like that's Tanya. It's oh, like a ta- sunblock. The Tanya suntan. Uh, they had the one about uh, the uh, you know living it, loving it, splashing it. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the perfume heaven, heaven scent has, uh, has a, a whole jingles like so many. The killer. Uh, they don't like, make jingles like that anymore. The the radio ad for the Illustrated Man. Oh man, that's a sick, so good. Uh, with the, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah that that's awesome. such a cool ad. And so we're getting a lot of that. And you and I talked about that, how Tarantino always has good soundtracks to his flicks. But every other soundtrack, you can tell it's much more of a him trying to curate some hidden gems. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of his so- songs that he's used have kind of refound themselves into more of a back in the eye of the pop culture. How many people before Reservoir Dogs were making Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you kind of references, exactly, right? right? He pulled this old hit that AM Gold Relic, and then he puts him in a new movie and gives him a fresh spin. But this one felt so much more like he was just doing like some cool, obscure stuff, but also you got Deep Purple's Hush, and you have mm-hmm. Simon and Garfunkel, Mrs. Robinson. So it was like actual stuff that would be just on there. You get Mamas yeah. and the Papas. Right. I'd be curious to go back and like check out the charts from February 69 when yeah. this movie takes to place. to really see what was the actual, uh, the actual big hits. Yeah. Because uh, I also not, do Not love... that I'm not believing that those are sure, sure. period appropriate, <laughs> but it would just be interesting to go back and see all of those. Yeah. You know, he still is like, using some obscure what's getting played jams. on L.A. radio and stuff, yeah. Yeah, like he's still busting out some obscure jams like uh, the Buchanan brothers at the Playboy Mansion. Son mm. of a loving man. You know, that wasn't like a big hit, but it's like, oh, it's so good, it's good in that song. scene, man. It's a great song. And so song. he's still digging a little do- digger, digging deep, but you still get... Uh, bands at the time right. i also like this time hadn't really put this together it's not significant but he uses one mamas and papa song twelve thirty, mm-hmm. about girls coming uh in laurel canyon and but he uses a mamas and papa's jose feliciano cover <laughs> of their big hit right right uh, california dream california dreaming yeah so he uses the ho- that's when it's dusk on sunday and everybody's sure. like going weekends over and you get all the light up Cinerama sign and the Taco yeah. Bell and Wiener Schnitzel. Good stuff. So I love that use of the less famous cover but still fitting in uh, Moms and Papas. Mm-hmm. So a couple other things. Alright. We're already longer than uh, we planned on this but it's a keep, full keep two going. hours of I told you. I keep tricked going. you. Oh, man. I double crossed you. Those notes. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so after uh, Cliff drops Rick off and Rick, you know, Rick's in a better mood now that he saw Polanski. <laughs> sure. He realizes he's not totally out on his ass. And him and Cliff kind of have a good buddy hug. And then Rick's got to read his lines, right? So mm-hmm. you get the great Rick reading his lines scene, which we we talked about already. Definitely. Si, senor. <laughs> Rick doing every character's voice. Really bad. Yeah. So For Lancer. <laughs> um, and I know we loved this from... The first time we saw it, and I think I know I keep noticing you and I laughing harder and harder at this each time, is Rick's, and specifically Leonardo DiCaprio, on the set of Lancer from the whole morning, his brutal hangover, coughing <laughs> and spitting. Yeah. He is spending two hours of his morning, eight whiskey sours deep, spitting, blowing snot rockets, oh. and then when... Sam Wanamaker is talking to him in his trailer and he's just dunking his face in a bowl of ice yeah. and hacking into a rag <laughs> the whole while sti- like sipping coffee and just rag hacking. Well, the line from that scene that I that stood out this time was when Rick goes to shake his hand and says, Sorry about the wet hand, and the and the director says, oh, I'm used to it with you, or I something <laughs> like that. Like, like what is wait, that? Wait, why would he joke? Be, yeah, oh, I expect it from you, or something oh, like I that. Where it's like, it wait, you, what? Rick. <laughs> I love Sam Wanamaker. Oh yeah. With his description of his perfect beautiful vision for Rick's look with his big droopy mustache, <laughs> zapata mustache and his custer jacket and uh mm. and uh you know I don't want you looking cowboy. I want you more Hell's Angel. Oh. <laughs> like 
that whole bit. This whole and this Rick's kind of looking at him, just like what? Yeah, the hell? Rick is like purple faced because <laughs> he's been coughing and hungover, and he's looking at him with this like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like this guy. Yeah, I love Sam Wanamaker. I looked him up. Uh, so did you? Apparently, a former child actor. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who this dude was. Didn't didn't recognize his name. Perfect kind of George Hamilton esque oh, yeah. Hollywood uh, caricature. He got that kind of old school feel. Very, yeah, very Robert very Evans. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. Robert Kid Evans. Stays in the tinted, picture. Tinted shades. Sure. Blown back, thick head of hair. Hundred oh, percent. Now that you say that, Sweater, yeah, it's like yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah, the Robert. <laughs> Evans, first, I love that dude, but the Robert Evans thing didn't hit me until that's funny this time. Uh, so I really love this cool little thing can't be in there by accident uh when sharon tate goes to see the wrecking crew Mm -hmm. and she's watching trailers and the first trailer we get is a really good one and you know tarantino's got hundreds of film canisters of vintage trailers oh absolutely and reels this guy's got hundreds of movies and canisters you know he has like a huge air-conditioned vault that he pays for storage with just tons of these. So I love the idea of him picking out which trailers mm-hmm. you want to show. And so I love the CC and Company trailer with Joe Namath and Anne Margaret. But right. the big thing uh, that I really love that I say could not be an accident is in the trailer, the leader of the bike gang in that movie was William Smith, who was an awesome actor, big brawny dude, and his life is straight up Rick Dalton's life. Mm. Has to be. Mm. Because in the 60s, he was on this this popular Western called Laredo. Wow. Uh, which is about three brothers. You know, uh, I think they were not, not bounty hunters, but they were, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen several. Guys, it was like, do your own homework yeah, a little Jesus. bit here, guys. You know, I look on. up William Smith and Laredo. <laughs> you know, but it was like in the 60s, it ran for five or six seasons. Yeah, Him, yeah. Neville Brand, you know, get some big Western names. And he was this, William Smith had a very uh, big, muscular, he was a tall guy, 6'3", super built, in mm-hmm. a way that you didn't see guys like that mm. back then. Right. You, you didn't see 270-pound, muscled-up actors as lead roles. It was him and Clint Walker. Right. This is pre-Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yeah. When that guy's just how office employees look. Frickin' 240 and Jack. Yeah. <laughs> so William Smith and Clint Walker were the brawny dudes. And the 70s hit, Laredo ended, and William Smith spent 1970 to 1985 as the heavy, Mm. getting the tar kicked out of him at the end of every episode of Rockford Files, of every episode of Vegas. You know, he was was what Rick Dalton's finding himself in the middle of. Wow. And so here in this movie, CC and Company, you see Joe Namath. (laughs) Joe Namath, who, you know. Football player? breaking out into acting yeah. and now Joe Namath this new swinging dick in town <laughs> is kicking William Smith's ass <laughs> you know and so yeah That's William funny. Smith played a lot of biker leaders mm-hmm. and then a lot of a lot of guys you know getting kicked by Jim Rockford getting kicked by you know oh man and so it's gotta be this an inspiration is, he had to have like that had to be intentional because this was 1969 I think Laredo was over by then so this was now William Smith, so now, right in his two years, right after his right. series, doing biker movies, movie of the week. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like there's he had to have pulled that 
for that specific reason. I'm sure he did. had to have. I love that. Oh, and you catch. get and in the trailer you also unrelated to William Smith, you get the great Wayne Cochran vocal performance. Yes. Oh, what with, is that? With his that dude Wayne. How is that a real thing? I know. <laughs> Flaming red jumpsuits and white pompadour and weird just, vocal yeah, faces. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I so love. Bizarre. We get Wayne Cochran sighting in a movie <laughs> in 2019. The references in this thing out of control. It's great. Out of control. There's stuff to look at in the background of every oh, single yeah. scene. I saw two different billboards for Tanya. Mm. When uh, when Cliff's Perfect. out driving. That's like, great. <laughs> and I just musty reiterate. <laughs> this is the most I have enjoyed Al Pacino. Oh, yes. Since, like, the early 70s work of his. I hate Al Pacino. <laughs> I love every second of Al Pacino in this movie. Every word. He yeah. is perfect as Schwartz. Schwartz. Mary Alice Schwartz. <laughs> his cognac. And the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. What a picture. So the thing you have been saying the most from this movie oh, yeah, yeah. comes right after that. When he's talking about the 14 fists of the McCluskey with all the shooting. The shooting and the, and and the, the killing. killing. That's a lot of killing. A lot of killing. <laughs> a lot of killing. Leonardo DiCaprio has to be the Oscar winner for this. I've, I don't remember a, a time when I've seen such a fine male lead. Mm. It's probably not since a couple years ago in I Loved uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name. Movie oh, yeah. really touched yeah. me. And Leo is so good in this. The insecurities that he shows. Mm-hmm. The confidence with the insecurity just below the surface. He's not a shell of a guy. It's just always threatening to come out. Yeah, And you see it in that scene with Pacino. I love when you told me how much you've been saying a lot of killing. A lot of killing. A lot of killing. A lot of killing. Because that's when Leo's mood shifted. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, chill and cocky when he's hanging out with Cliff. And then Pacino comes up and he starts buttering him up. And he's immediately, like, you can kind of tell he's a guy not comfortable with acclaim. He's insecure and it sounds weird to him. Right. And so he's already just kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, oh th- thank you. And, you know, apologizing if his movies sucked. Right. Exactly. And then I love Pacino go, what? What are you saying? What are you saying? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> but yeah, I, the yeah, that's a lot of killing. A lot of killing. And when Pacino's talking about how the studios, you're getting beat by Mannix, you're getting beat by the girl from Uncle, you yeah. know, going through all these, and Rick is immediately just kind of doing a lot of uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, like and gulping down water uncomfortably, and like, yeah, you can tell that insecurity is just threatening to bubble up from under the surface at any time. And it's so much more nuanced than just if he had played a complete anxiety-wrecked mm, actor mm-hmm. who was constantly, like, breaking down. Right. It's so much more controlled, it's just always threatening to unveil itself. Totally. It's it's brilliant. It's it's so good. It's so good. I love it. There That's it. That's it. If I can Woo! go on and on. This movie's Woo! the best. We will do probably more addendums. Jeez. I'm sure there's I'll be more. seeing it a couple more times. I'm sure there's more to say. Um... But the, the the true feast of this movie. Yeah, the main course that the we're about to get into. The main course after um, that lengthy appetizer. Uh, yes, thanks for sticking around with us. We are here now to talk about... Very different. One of the great 
movies of the 1980s that nobody saw. Yeah. <laughs> the Hitcher. The Hitcher. Damn. From 1986. It is uh, part of a Rutger Howard tribute that we watched. Thank you to Neil and the cult film series, which yeah. I think we were talking about Third Street and uh, affordable movie tickets kind of getting us back into the theater. Cult film series. The cult film really series. Really what got me to go see movies in the theater again a couple years ago. When they would every other week just have these classic, <laughs> well, ironically, great the genre movies, the cult movies gave started giving me the most joyous experience mm-hmm. of my movie going life. Right. At the same time, it made me actually for two years see less new movies. Because yeah, I would go out I to the theater, that. and most of the time I was going out to theater was to see three cult film series double features a month. Yeah, and then when a new movie come out, I was like, ah, I was already at like two movies like two nights ago. Well, I think the thing in <laughs> now my... I just go to movies four nights a week. Yeah, so whatever. It, yeah, about uh, maybe like ten years ago, I kind of just stopped going to the movies because I hated the crowd mm. that would be there and uh, people just talking and on yeah. the phone and distracting and. I think we're kind of moving dealing to a... with rude people. So then the cult movie nights was always the crowd that wanted to be there that was into it that. Mm-hmm shared the same values as far as what a movie audience does and and having fun watching a movie but also you know not being a pain in the ass yeah it's funny you say that because i in until you mentioned i hadn't really thought that uh movie theaters probably don't like this but i bet a lot of those people they were just noisy and obnoxious which was a thing that we've just kind of gotten used to i think those are the people that just don't go to the movies anymore those are the people that just watch Netflix and maybe and that could play be, Candy could Crush be. while a movie played in the background, and then they say they saw the movie and don't remember could anything be. about. It. I think those are the people that just stopped coming out. Yeah, because I <laughs> you get some bums uh, at Third Street, not literal. I mean <laughs> that too, maybe, yeah. but they're nice. <laughs> it's the, you do get some people that are just like, man, I only paid three seventy five. I I don't need to. That's I can, true. I can have an argument with my girlfriend <laughs> in this movie. Exactly. So you do get some girlfriend you, arguments. You get some girlfriend arguments, but uh, no, we had a great time watching The Hitcher. But so, yeah, the... It, was, uh, it went over real well with the crowd. Everybody was into it. This movie, I thought I had seen it. I don't know if I ever had seen it before. I think I was thinking of a different movie because after watching this uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I surely would have remembered the things that yeah. happened in this movie that I did not remember happening. So... It is... This movie is off the charts. <laughs> I'm kind of with you, except I know I watched it because there was several, probably four or five distinct things mm-hmm. I remember. Specifically, I do remember the ending, which is weird for me because that's the thing I always forget. <laughs> it's all, this time, it's all my clearest visual of the movie is the ending. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's weird. That's, <laughs> I don't know what my brain does. Something happened there. Um, so I know I'd seen it. However, I don't think I had seen it right because i think i watched this seven or eight years ago i was probably writing an article while i had it playing and sometimes that's enough for me and i know i pick up the whole thing i can Mm -hmm. talk again recite everything other times with a movie like this that is bold and in your face in a lot of ways very nuanced Mm. in many ways ways that really get under your skin uh, those kind of things, those edges get lost totally. if you aren't fully focused on it. Yeah. And so I think I probably just saw in the background, it's like, oh, yeah, a lot of killing, a lot of killing, <laughs> a lot, lot of, of shooting, a lot of killing, a lot of stabbing. And right, you, don't you, you pick... look up for the big explosion moment, but yeah. you don't notice the 
tension that's been built. I mean, this movie, and the, the, the other thing maybe is that this movie is relentless. It doesn't waste a minute of screen time. Yeah. Something interesting is happening every moment from the very first scene on. But it also is kind of deceptive because it does have a lot of big explosive kind of moments. Mm -hmm. Except the in-between explosive moments, there's just as much cool shit happening. It's just a different kind of simmering, boiling tension. Right. Whereas other movies pepper in the explosions and the killings to keep piquing people's interest. These things just felt like those were the culmination, violent culminations of the crazy shit that had been happening for the ten minutes. Yes. The threatening ten minutes that boil over into murder. And so I think if you're not paying close attention and you are just looking up for the killings, you're, exactly. you're missing what so I mean. much of the threat right. that is That's so I mean. relentless. So much happens in every moment. Yeah. But it's quiet in a lot of yeah, these other sure. moments. Or it's just... This movie is, in my opinion, one of the best written screenplays of, yeah. of any kind of thriller like this. And then you've got Rutger Hauer delivering a great performance. And, in my opinion, C. Thomas Howell? Yeah. What? Coming out of nowhere, equally delivering a fantastic performance. He's really the focus of the movie. He's a young guy in this one. He was mm -hmm. a kid who, like you said, was... Or, we talked about it earlier, like, who is this guy? You know, in the 80s, he was in things like The Outsiders and Yeah, he was e. Pony Boy. Um, but, yeah, he... Uh, he he had a nice is... little resurgence. He, he had a good role on a, a TV show I liked called Southland. Oh, okay. A cop show. Sure. And he was one of the main guys on that. Well, he is fantastic in this movie. He's really great. As so... is Rutger Hauer, who's great in everything, but... He is just such the iconic villain. So this this double feature we saw with two villainous roles. Big time. And there will be two hero roles later, but I think Rutger Hauer is just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that blonde, like he's the unseen kind of evil. There's an meanness to him. But he is just so creepy in this movie and uh, so effective. And it, it opens with C. Thomas Howell in, in the rain falling asleep at the wheel, driving a car from Illinois to San Diego, and he's in the Texas desert, and he picks up the hitcher. And it starts from there. It gets right into it. doesn't waste any time. And five minutes in, uh, you know, Rutger Hauer's got a knife to the kid's stomach and mm, tell him he he's going to kill him. He had a knife to the kid's groin. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, that is... Uh, Midsection. As always, I want to butt in here. Uh, <laughs> we are a spoilery... Oh yeah, this is going to be a spoilery this. movie. We I are, have theories we do I these, want to share. Yeah, we do these episodes assuming that people are listening because they love this movie just like we do. Totally. So call, we call. talk about a bunch of important stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but there's no character like introduction. There's no ten minutes of getting to know who these people are. It, it starts with the threat right off the bat. Yeah. Where Rutger Hauer is going to kill this kid. You don't even know why this kid's there's driving no, this car alone. Right. You're you, just seeing him driving on this isolated area. You find out later, yeah, about why he's driving. Movie, it, and I love how we get jumped into this. Yeah, uh, totally. Go for it. Before we talk about too much of the plot or the amazing acting performances, uh, you said very underrated script. Yes. And I think I, I think I can say that the script is fine, but what Rutger Hauer, C. Thomas Howell, and even Jennifer Jason Lee end up doing with the script mm -hmm. is even more impressive. Because I think in the wrong hands, this thing could come off like the most B-movie made-for-cable thriller. Yeah. No, it definitely trusts the actors to take pretty minimal 
a lot, a lot of the scenes are pretty minimal dialogue, but mm-hmm. there's so much behind the words and, and the threat and the mystery of why the Hitcher is seemingly randomly chosen this kid yeah. and is not only trying You said you had theories on this, I which have I'm theories. excited for, because uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious what I'm not thinking about. Excellent, excellent. The, this is something we complain about a lot in that there's still a stigma on horror movies hmm. or genre movies. In turn, you know that critics are so much more hesitant to fully hail as a classic. They'll say, you know, they'll fully recommend a movie, and horror movies are going to have high Rotten Tomatoes ratings or whatever. But to be truly thought of as a great movie, mm-hmm. there's still a stigma. We talked about it before with Hereditary, mm-hmm. how we both expected that to get several Oscar nominations, definitely for Tony Collette. I think anyone who saw that movie was yeah. expecting Tony it, Collette to get an Oscar yeah. nomination. Yeah. And it somehow didn't cross boundaries. Mm-hmm. Something like Get Out, it does. But I think The Hitcher, when it comes to a horror movie that's especially low budget. Yes. I think people, even non-critics, just automatically in their brains think of it as a B-movie. Mm-hmm. And this plot is very B-movie. This thing could have ha- could have been you could have done a shot on video version of the Hitcher right. very easily, yeah. You know, but I think people have seriously undersold this. This is better than a B movie. I put this on the level with Terminator and Halloween hmm. in terms of this seemingly unstoppable force kind of movie. It was really powerful to me, in spite of its perception as a dumb B movie, you know, it was, it's even like a Canon film, right? The epitome right. of B movie yeah. in the eighties, Canon films. No, but there's, there's few movies that build the tension and build the atmosphere and get you guessing as to what's going on. Um, like this, this movie, this movie just really enraptures you. This movie feels the closest we get to super bloody, hyper violent Hitchcock. Oh yeah. It felt very Hitchcock sure. because, as we'll now start talking about, the whole story, for the first 80% of it, is a the wrong man situation. Mm -hmm. It is the Hitchcock nightmare of a guy repeatedly looking guiltier and guiltier of worse and worse crimes. Yes. And having no way to explain that he's not the guy doing this. Exactly. And it is so crazy to the point that I don't even know if Rutger Hauer is there. (laughs) Because... Dude. To most people, he's not, because everybody other than C. Thomas Howell ends up dead. Exactly, sees this dude. I was gonna say this. Yeah, you for at least the first half of this movie, I was convinced that the Rutger Howard character of the Hitcher was a figment of the kid's imagination. This yeah. kid is Jim uh, Halsey or something like Jim that. Halsey, he, C. Right. Thomas Howell, Jim Halsey. So, young Jim is yeah. I thought he was gonna be the killer all along with the you know delusional Rutger Howard character kind of like a fight club situation yeah but, I, was de- uh, definitely think, what's I don't that? think that's yeah. it i don't think that is it yeah I, it definitely I, feels like 20 years later that's where a movie would have gone it would have gone right. the high tension route or the adaptation route sure. you know sure. the the like oh they were but they have to be in two different places and say yeah that's the twist <laughs> no that's not <laughs> that's an impossibility not a twist and the whole time you're basically like it's like we're conditioned to like that has to be it because mm-hmm. otherwise this kid is just having the worst day 
Oh, he's he would definitely not having the worst the day, day. I'm having. I do believe that this kid, young Jim, is having the worst day. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so even having seen the movie before, and I guess probably having not paid as close of attention, nowhere near as close as I paid this time. Right from the first minute, I'm just looking forward to a B movie, and then by the end of the first scene with Rutger Hauer, I was like, "This is so much more." I oh, was yeah. terrified. The way Rutger Hauer milks that scene. And every word of his dialogue gets more and more sinister. Mm-hmm. And the way C. Thomas Howell goes from like, who is this guy? To terrified. Yes. Over the span of three minutes. The way Rutger keeps escalating the threat. And C. Thomas Howell starts getting scared and more bargaining and more desperate. And you realize you're in this tight two-door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shoulder they're, to they're shoulder sedan, with yeah. a dude that you don't know who you just picked up not even thinking about it yeah first line of dialogue is him opening the door for the hitcher and saying something like my mom told me never to do this yeah <laughs> right that's yeah. where it starts that's the message of the movie it goes people. downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that opening scene is one of the great opening scenes of any kind of thriller because it just you just jump into the action so quickly and Rutger Hauer is chilling bone chilling in that in that first scene and when, spoiler alert, C. Thomas Howell finally is able to kind of kick him out of the car. Yeah, you feel such elation Dude, to see Thomas Howell. So like he's he gives that like yeah yeah, and you, you're you, with him because you have already you somehow have invested fully into this young kid being scared and it and threatened. Yeah, and uh, I mean yeah, that it's that great. moment felt like moment. Jesse driving away at the end of Breaking Bad. Right. Yeah, I'm spoiling classic <laughs> TV now, bitches. <laughs> Jesse lives. But him just like <laughs> this reaction of just like crying and screaming and just like you aren't even letting out words. You're just so right. like, oh! <laughs> like I just went through the worst thing of my life and exactly. now I'm like speeding away. It's that, that yeah, my but, butt was just clenched through that whole scene and then it was this let just like, oh, oh, but, now, but now if, I'm not flexing my arms in horror. Like the way Rutger Hauer in one minute goes from just talking weird but gently Mm -hmm. to describing what it's like to have, like, a knife in your eyeball. Yeah. And just like, oh, my God. Yeah, he gets graphic. dark and graphic quick. (laughs) And then, yeah, they go to a a roadblock, a stop. Yeah, they've got a road stop, and, uh, yeah, he's got the... Yeah, he's got the knife to uh, the kid and, to the groin, and they have to have that whole scene where he's like, "Don't say anything," and the uh, just yeah, the, that whole tension is built. The just the way that the eyes, I mean, you know, that kid's I, eyes look like they're actually. Scared. See, how played this, like you said, uh, for a guy that I knew and a guy uh, who's been around for quite a while and done at least one blackface movie. <laughs> um, oh yeah. That was him. That was him. <laughs> um, we won't be talking about he that was movie. So good, and it needed the movie would have survived and been a cult legend with Rutger Hauer's performance. What a definitely! Performance. I think we're all familiar with Rutger Hauer because of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. We know what he's capable of, but Blade Runner, he's so good as Batty, uh, and so powerful, and has the best monologue of the whole movie mm-hmm. the whole thing that most people know of Blade Runner is him but 
it's so good that it's kind of like a James Gandolfini in a lot of ways where people just think of him as Tony Soprano. Right. There's a lot of cool James Gandolfini performances that are very different from yes. Tony Soprano. People think of him as Tony Soprano. I think of Rucker Hauer is in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And even though I've seen several other Rucker Hauer movies, I guess none of them were really as big a success and definitely get talked about as legendarily. He, in this one, I'm convinced he's one of the all-time like greats for that decade. This was more than just a great horror performance. This dude was... This was some acting, man. Mm-hmm. He was cutting... Every scene with him and C. Thomas Howell was so good. These people had... And the movie even alludes to it later. Like, I don't know what kind of thing you guys got. They oh, yeah. have this thing. They have a connection for sure. They have, for whatever reason... This Lightning w- in a bottle. Yeah, this weird <laughs> thing where he keeps letting C. Thomas Howell live. Uh-huh. And in every situation, it seems 98% guaranteed Steve Thomas Howell's going to die. And <laughs> yeah. he keeps letting him not die. But he keeps uh, killing everybody around him. Every single other human. You know? And if he's not framing him, he's torturing him with these actions, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally. And, yeah, it's... Uh, and he doesn't do, technically, anything. He's not, like, cutting him and torturing him physically. It's all the most extreme psychological psychological torture you could ever do while forcing him to witness the murder of everybody else. Right. He's even crafting these more and more improvised, elaborate scenes of C. Thomas Howell narrowly escaping, like, a burning building Mm -hmm. or a car accident or just all these crazy situations that I don't know if he's just like, well... I'm going to come up with a situation that 9 out of 10 people die during. And we'll just keep seeing how good this kid's luck is. Because, jeez, every scene is just him escaping this awful life-ruining moment. There's even a scene, (laughs) so about halfway through the movie, Rutger Hauer has planted a knife on the kid and framed him from these murders that he, Rutger Hauer, is committing. uh, Because you see him in another car in a station wagon, you know, right after that first scene where you think... Young Jim has gotten away. Yeah. The next scene, well, that you see been him a fun driving. Movie. That would have been a great little 80 five minutes minute of short. Jim just delivering hey, this car it. for the rest and across then the next America. Scene is, next scene is him in San Diego. Like, yeah, I had this weird hitchhiker, but uh, other than that, the hitcher. Uh, anyways, <laughs> you see him in a station wagon next, and and uh, all this time I'm thinking, is this even a real character? He's letting him get away, you know, in the gas station. The, the great first kind of big explosion of this movie is 20 minutes in this at the first gas literal station. literal explosion. Where uh, Rutger Hauer, in a truck, bursts through the garage, takes out these gas pumps, uh, takes the match, lights, you know, lights it on fire. See Thomas Howell barely gets into the car and drives away with his car on fire. Yeah. While Dude, the, the shot of the... While the gas station goes up, and that shot of the gas station going up and the car driving off on fire is just—that's when I was like, "Oh, we are in for something here." Yeah, twenty minutes in, I knew it was going to be great, but then when it was like, "Oh, we're also doing giant explosions, not just psychological horror." Yeah. Now, so we got something starting special. with that moment. So the movie—I was already getting strong dual vibes. Sure. Because you got a few different kind of car chasey kind of moments. Uh, you get Rutger Hauer trying to ram him mm-hmm. off the road you right. get him catching up like you get it's there's a lot of that but you feel like when he's ramming him it's just to push him oh yeah it's just to push the buttons no, he's, he's not, not actually trying to get him off the road he's just trying to make this kid as scared as possible exactly with that shot 
the cinematography in this movie was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the movie it immediately reminded of, oddly, came out the exact same year, Near Dark. Mm. A lot of this flick felt like Near Dark without vampires. With a real-life murderer vampire. Do you a guy want- who loved blood, but... Do, 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 do you want to know that uh, Eric Red, who wrote this wrote near dark i i I genuinely had no idea when we saw it in the theater i remember you saying something about like oh eric red he ended up uh, collaborating with Catherine bigelow on a couple of movies you did tell but the only you told me that but the only one i remembered was blue steel blue steel he also wrote body parts in 91 oh with with jeff Jeff fahey oh cool um but yeah he he wrote uh yeah he wrote near dark which yeah could very much be a companion piece to this movie. Near Dark is a just all kind of Southwest horror, like yeah, open desert. You know, the, it's a perfect companion. The piece. isolation that you also get in this movie, where C. Thomas Howell is just on his own. He can't reach any friendly people on the phone. Mm-hmm. All the cops are against him. He's you know even at one point says is like I can't, you can't, uh, you know, I can't give you any evidence of, yeah, of who I, I am. Prove all who of a sudden I am. he's he's this persona non. Yeah, so whatever you call that's it. That's the uh, that's <laughs> where I was getting the strong Hitchcock vibes. Yeah, it's not only this guy the only suspect for all of these violent crimes. He has no way to show that he's anything but the suspect. Right. for all these crimes, he's got no credit card. He has nobody to vouch. He doesn't for have him. his ID on him. Anymore. Nobody's answering the phone that he calls. Right. He is, and you're wondering, are those? Is anyone at those numbers? Because you're still thinking. Yeah. Halfway in the movie, I think this. I thought it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And we were going to find out, you know, he was crazy. But the the near dark similarities, I genuinely That's had no great, idea. Right? Near dark <laughs> is if if we t- and we should do this. Uh, this could be a mega episode. If I was doing a list <laughs> of my top one hundred eighties movies, mm. near dark's top ten. I don't know where in there could be top five, but at least top ten. Whoa. I love near dark. And once I started getting vibes, once that car was on fire and driving away. That looked like a shot straight out of Near Dark. Totally. And I was immediately just like, oh, this is just the best parts of movies that I love. Exactly. I lo- It felt like The Terminator. It felt like Hitchcock. It felt like Near Dark. And it felt like Duel. Had a it's great like, soundtrack. Damn, that was a killer mix of yeah. the soundtrack. It had that very wow. kind of Terminator, do-do-do-do-do kind of a feel to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Even eerier, though. Um, yeah, yeah, different. Not so much, a, not a, as much of a sci-fi one. But right. a great era appropriate one. But this this Rucker Hauer performance, this guy is gifted. Mm-hmm. He is tapping into. I think he gets compared a lot, or maybe I just for a long time confused the two of them before I watched tons of movies. Uh, Klaus Kinski, mm-hmm. <laughs> that same kind of that. like uh, I could see that you know kinda Eastern crazy. European crazy eyed sure. kind of guy, right? Um, and people talk about the actual craziness of Klaus Kinski. And I think in my head I attributed the same to Rutger Hauer, though I don't think that's actually true. I don't mm. know if that's true. I I don't think he's actually or was. We, I think he was just more recently. of like an isolated I don't think guy. he was too crazy. I think he was a I think he was just he not was a, a Hollywood pro, kind know? of guy. Yeah. He's just I mean, the actor. But yes, that's why we were doing this double feature cuz interesting things. RIP Rutger Hauer. Yeah. But he went from a guy who I saw several people really as broken up as you can be about an, a person you don't know dying. Hmm. A lot of people like this. One of my coworkers, Patty, she loves this man. I mean, this is like one of the saddest I've seen her. 
oh, or death. And in my brain, I'm just like, oh, you know, I love Blade Runner. That's amazing. And now within one viewing, I'm just like, oh, I get it now. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Rucker Hour, but before this time, I don't think I've really seen yeah. Rucker Hour, as yeah. I said. It was so captivating, and the scenarios just keep getting more ridiculous crazier and crazier yeah every, everything is an escalation every scene yeah is... this movie keeps escalating yeah. and it starts escalated as hell that's right i mean that's <laughs> exactly you're going where do they go from here and there's uh you know there's great car chases and crashes some like really excellent car stunts there's a helicopter involved that's where I was like, oh I, my god! That's where I was like, maybe I haven't seen this movie because I'm sure yeah. I would remember Rutger Hauer shooting a helicopter out of the sky with yeah, like a pistol. Yeah, we go into a Grand Theft Auto mode. Oh yeah, when he pistol 100%. shoots a helicopter, and you got those two Dude. cop cars flipping over wow, in unison. What a stunt! Amazing stuff. Holy really. cow! That the the dual uh, car crash spot with the two cop cars in sync, kind of one of them peeling in front of the other one with a tire right. out causing the other one to hit the edge and they're flipping in unison oh my god the setup to that shot must have been that had to have been one of those like we got one chance exactly because it's not it's a canon film it's not like you're gonna have like a dozen <laughs> cop cars to wreck exactly this was probably like we got one shot we have this rented helicopter <laughs> and two police cruisers look we're gonna explain why the helicopter crashed later to the insurance company a canon film with a big ass helicopter crash and some of the more elaborate car crash stunts canon was that's what they did man yeah i but I mean, I know that stuff was in canon films, but when the more I read about the cheapness mm, of yeah. Golan and Globus, like, holy cow, like, they got lucky. This is like some Corman working with getting Dante and all these other legends. Yeah. Like, they're doing these amazing movies for a million bucks. Like, sometimes canon really hit. This is right up there with the greatest canon films ever made. And some of the stuff they did on this budget... Basically, they spent the budget in the right place. They absolutely They did. hired the right people. They got the, the right actors. The effects look spectacular. Yeah. The scenery, it's probably cheap as hell to shoot out there. Because how oh, many movies are shot be. out in the desert? It was, a, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was no real uh, city or anything. They, they might have just gone out in the middle of nowhere without any permits or anything yeah. and just shot it. Who knows? And so it probably cost them hardly anything for filming location, except their filming location was incredible. Right. Part of the beautiful the, yeah. the isolationist portion of the movies. That's part of the biggest, most powerful part of the Hitchers. Not only is C. Thomas Howell looking like the pre, primo suspect, there's nobody for hundreds of miles. Right. They are full of towns of nothing but abandoned diners and one pump gas stations, and he is just alone with this dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, and gosh. if he ever even finds a gas station, the hitcher's just going to blow it up anyways. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever he stops, that place is filled they're with new screwed. victims. Yeah, they're screwed. And so I just kept all these different kind of movies. Just I kept getting the best notes. Uh, I think you and I talked about like The Vanishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what I probably saw and thought was this movie, you mm-hmm. know, way back kind of a similar 20 years vibe. ago or whatever. Yeah. That I wouldn't, until you mentioned it in the lobby afterwards, I that one didn't cross my mind. The second you said it, it's like, oh, yeah, a lot of this uh, same kind of driving. Yeah. And that same kind of... The isolation and the mystery of and the what m- is... What, pretty much the motivationless 
killer. You get no motive, uh, but I do have a theory of the motive. You said that. It's never told. I, should we get into it? Or? Let's go, because what I said to you that brought this on was in the lobby afterwards. Mm-hmm. I said, this might be the best movie I've seen about a motivationless killer. You don't really know what Michael Myers' motive is. Mm-hmm. He's killing people, but the movie's pretty much established. He was pure just going to kill he's pure people evil. anyway. Yeah. I don't think the hitcher is pure evil. I think he's an actual man. Yeah, he's um, not an entity. But yeah, but like, uh, you know, even the Terminator. Nope, that guy's on a mission. Mm-hmm. He has one goal, and that's the only goal in his brain. Right. He has one. He's mission got a very clear goal to yeah. him. He's got about as clear but a goal the as the hitcher. He we don't have any. We don't get any insight into this man. And I love that they did it. I love. We could have. They could have had several dumb scenes of us getting information that we don't need to get Mm -hmm. and they didn't every other movie i think would have been tempted to tell us more about these people and why this was happening and to wrap it up in a more of a oh i get it kind of way right well even at the end of psycho they have to have this whole explanation about why he's insane right the last five minutes of psycho are the <laughs> but they had to explain it because there was an explanation. This one they offered no explanation. The last five no minutes of Psycho is one of the things that I I love that I hate it. <laughs> I hate that I love it. One of those. It's so. It's the most anticlimactic ending of any movie. The movie yeah. ends, and then it's just like, well, so the thing about Norman Bates so, was here's everything about him. Yeah, here's the summary of everything we learned. It's exactly. so ridiculous. Exactly. It's one of the most. It's probably one of the most ridiculous five minutes of a legendary. It's movie. like <laughs> I always think of that in Spaceballs where they give out the plot and Rick Moranis just looks at the screen. Everybody got that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of movies did that. Yeah. Where you have yeah. one scene that explains everybody's motive and why this guy was being targeted. And I love that we don't get, turns out he was the killer all along. Right. Turns out he was a crazy man. Turns out he knew his uncle. Like, nope. They easily could have, like, as he, you know, they could have definitely done, like, hey, he escaped from a mental ward or whatever. But mm-hmm. we don't my- know who this dude is. He's just killing tons of people and pulling the wings off the fly that mm-hmm. is C. Thomas Howell, which is nuts. Yeah. So you have a theory that Here, actually... Here's the theory. I that have. I do not know. All right. So I'm going to try to figure out how to explain it. The first thing that tipped me off in my theory is that I think the Hitcher has a death wish. The first thing he says to C. Thomas Howell in that... Not the first thing he mm. says to him, but in the car, in the first exchange... Uh, C. Thomas Howell says, what do you want? And Rutger Howard says, I want you to stop me. Yeah. And he's like, but you'll cut me before I can stop you. He's like, so what do you got to lose? Stop me. And then Whoa. he's, and then they go into this whole say I want to die, which is the creepiest exchange oh that is in that so... beginning scene where he's just like, I want you to say four words. Say I want to die. That's, well, he, he and he's, he's like, well, I'll do anything exactly. you want. And, for, and Rutger Howard says, I want you to say four words. Yeah. And so then it's like this immediate trap that C. Thomas Howell finds him in that, oh, all I got to do is say these four words. Oh, I'm saying that I want to die. It's the dumbest, like, oh, at your request. But I think it's and Rutger love- Hauer who wants to die. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that. And uh, there's, there's a scene in a truck later where he gets uh, young Jim to put the gun to his head and he's trying to get him to shoot him. 
Um, all these scenes kind of put up. So he's, I, in my opinion, he's got a death wish. But at the same time, um, he seems to be almost impossible to kill. He flies or jumps out yeah. of a car, moving vehicle, four times in this movie. Yes. And gets up every time when you would think getting kicked out of a car going highway speed would have put you out. There's no way you're walking away from that. And uh, so he seems to be, in my opinion, immortal. Hmm. And I think the Hitcher is a cursed man who maybe he's 100 years old. Maybe he's 200 years old. I don't think he's much older than that. He's a European in Southwest America. (laughs) Yeah. But I picture him having either robbed a stagecoach or something back in the day and... Maybe he robbed a gypsy caravan or something, hitched his wagon to the wrong group. The fact that they even called the movie The Hitcher and not The Hitchhiker, I think, is there's a very, like, kind of... This guy's trapped in his own purgatory. So I think he's got some curse where he's... Wandering the land. He's doomed to wander the land. He's doomed to kill because... And and I think that's why he maybe was a bad guy originally. um, Because he's not just doomed to wander the land, but he's... Compuls, uh, he's got the compulsion to kill, and he's trying. And the only way he can be stopped is if he gets someone to kill him. But he's got to really get that person to want to kill him, and that's why he spends the whole movie psychologically torturing young Jim, is to push him over to that edge where then he goes after the hitcher at the end to kill him. Yeah, and I do think young Jim becomes the hitcher at the end of the movie. Hmm. And I think he gets the curse passed on to him. I don't know why I think that, but it's a very somber, sad ending. Even though he's oh killed the gosh. bad guy, you see him alone, kind of just on the side of the road, leaning against the truck and stuff. And the sun goes down and um, very sad music playing. So I think it's a curse or some sort of, um, I think Rutger Hauer is an, an immortal with a death wish. And uh, the only way he can die is if someone willingly and wantfully, you know, kills him. Not just like an accident, not just hitting him with the truck, you know. Sure. He has to actually pull the trigger, which he does. Yeah, this has it has to be a full man-on-man yeah. death. That's what I thought. I really like think. that theory. It, it's not like it—that specifically did not cross my mind. Right. But elements of what you said were all things that I picked up on. Mm-hmm. And it's like I probably just, maybe I just didn't have that one trigger that was like, wait a minute. Like, got, that got me, that gets you thinking in a different way. Yeah. I was too engrossed in other things. And I, th- I think the moment that really triggered me was a very small moment where they finally do capture the hitcher, the police capture him towards the end. And they've got him in the interrogation room and they're trying to just get his name they don't have his name mm-hmm. and the interrogator asks him how he feels and he kind of very slowly just tired yeah you know and i just felt that's i felt like he's tired wow he's just been wandering looking for this he for wants it to who end knows how long you know or maybe he made a deal to become immortal back in the day and now he's facing now he's the consequences it. wow see Something like that. And that's, now that I have, now that I'm privy goes. to this new information, I'd already noticed these parallels, and now it's seeming like these are not a mistake. When I noticed the near dark parallels, now mm. I know it was written by the same guy. Mm. One of the things I most love about Near Dark is it takes a genre where the the villain 
is often romanticized. You know, like castle dwelling, sure, opulent sure. vampire, sexy vampire, sexy yeah. vampire. <laughs> uh, Near Dark was the one that's like, no, nope, these are dirty gypsies right. that live in shuttered buildings and have to constantly go town to town to stay on the run. Mm-hmm. These people don't get to live in a castle and be like, oh, the three hundred and twelfth killing happened uh, in this area. Exactly. And none of these killings started before that guy moved in. <laughs> like. The, the other movies that just don't answer that question. Mm-hmm. The, the vampires in Near Dark are constantly on the lam. And you get that same, like, they are not living this lush, romantic vampire lifestyle. They're gypsies. Mm-hmm. They're forced to, like, move and, you know, pick up and leave constantly. So the idea, once you said, maybe you got cursed by a gypsy, you're like, man, this guy has made people that are loners in the unpopulated parts of america two movies in the same year which i did not know yeah when we were watching this yeah well that was my theory i think that theory sounds really solid i think it's fun to think that way when you think about things rather than just like oh it doesn't have a motive i think it's like well there's gotta be and i think there's just it's very strange that this killer hitcher would so many times try to get this kid to take yeah. action well, against he him. really wanted he puts the gun in his hand at one point and it's just like shoot me you know like he yeah. wants to corrupt this kid or something like that he want yeah there's something it's like a less uh haha fooled you kind of thing in the movie funny games mm. where it's like oh all violence is everybody's solution to everything we got you and it's like oh, okay i guess you're right i guess yeah. if my you're right i'm a violent monster when people are threatening to murder my family i guess you win but it doesn't do that but it's like he's definitely trying to like for what you know to get thomas hell and there's so many crazy scenes of him trying to yeah. get him pushed to that level yeah. to force him to do something that he clearly does not want to do uh even when faced with like this is my only chance right to do that um the scene in the diner where rucker Howard pretends to have a gun mm-hmm. and uh, we see under the table it's just his hand and when he shoots him with his hand oh my god right like how that's the all Ugh. he did was to do that to get him to pull the trigger you know yeah uh, to get the young guy to pull the trigger, so and yeah, yeah I, I it's like he's daring him the whole movie. He's like daring him to fight back, to take action, and the kid just can't do it until finally he's you know uh, driven to the end, yeah, you know, that edge, and where one he of, becomes the killer. One and then of he a, can't, you know can't come back from that edge. No, I don't know what you know. You could come back from this movie. Yeah, how even you? there's you know there's lines of dialogue where he's ta- talking to the cops about do I look like a killer? You know he's not a killer. He's a mm-hmm. kid. And but once he crosses that line at the end and does that, then we just you know we only see him kind of in silhouette at the end. Yeah, leaning on the truck again. It's a very different vibe than you would expect when you've killed the bad guy at the end of the movie. This is it's that's what was really giving me. You know, the fact that Rucker Hour is relentless. Mm-hmm. He's seemingly unkillable. That was kind of the Terminator vibe for me. Is that the end of Terminator is both triumphant when she kills this guy. But then as you and I spoke about on our Terminator episode, this could be happening every week. For the re- <laughs> like, Right. They, she's... they could be sending stuff back from the future. Like every, you know, who knows how far into the future they're going right. to keep trying to stop Sarah Connor. 
And so the end of the Terminator, cool, the Terminator's vanquished, and it's this great triumphant moment until you think, like, oh, yeah, that might just have been the first one. Or, best case scenario, she knows now there's a war coming. Yeah. And, yeah, she's a loner on the road now Mm -hmm. preparing for the worst. Yeah, exactly. So this is not the triumphant, like, they got him. Exactly. Like... There's no, like, catchphrase killing in this. It is just like a, oh, I can finally, like, exhale from all this. We get a scene with C. Thomas Howell that could have come off very cheesy. And I thought was so tragic in the way they handled it. Where he tries to kill himself or thinks about killing himself in the desert. Right. And he's literally on his knees and then, like, puts the gun up under his chin. And it's like, yeah, I kind of get it. Like, right. he has been through... It doesn't feel cliche. He has been through hell at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, he is... And that's only halfway through the movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that does not happen in the final final cut, in the final act. This is... Oh. So he has already been through the worst experience and is already just like... Well, this seems like a really great option. Mm-hmm. This seems like at least it's at least I'm choosing to do this and not getting whatever means of torture that uh another great thing the movie did is the stuff they didn't show. You get him describing a bunch of acts of violence mm-hmm. and describing things that he's done. But the amount of what you are limited to you get some stuff, but you are limited in a lot. The family that he massacres on in their station wagon, right. you see C. Thomas Howell's reaction to what he just saw in mm-hmm. this car. You don't see just this, who knows what happened to that right, family. Exactly. Yeah. Like you yeah. only It lets your imagination run with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah you are only seeing him uh and I've I I've heard, you know, in the theater I heard people kind of making jokes about like C. Thomas Howell making bad decisions throughout the movie. And that is not really... I don't really like that criticism in a lot of horror movies because I'm just thinking of this for myself. I would fuck up constantly. <laughs> if I was oh, in, yeah. like... If I was uh, Olivia Hussey in Black Christmas, nah, I'd be sunk. <laughs> like, oh, you could argue, oh, why did she go upstairs to check? Like, pfft, I don't know what I would do right. in these situations, but I'm sure that I would do something dumb. Well, and even, like, uh, like the... I think we'd mentioned kind of like uh, if you finally get the hitcher out of your car and then you see him in another car, wouldn't you just turn around and go the other way? Yeah. And it's like, well, where are you going to go? He's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, where is he going to go? And uh, He'll get caught up to eventually exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, the movie does such a job of like, well, caught up to him again and he was hiding out here. He always and... knows where he's at. Yeah. Yeah. They have a con- And they definitely kind of hint to like a, psych- a psychic connection, mm-hmm. I feel like. More they, than just a personal connection. They they're see, definitely. Yeah. It's like he senses him through the wall during that interrogation scene too. It's like. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely something going on there it beyond was... what you're just shown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is great. It The the roller coaster of this flick was so good. And like we said, it keeps getting more and more. The fact that it comes. He crashes a prison transfer bus. There are so many set pieces of Rutger Hauer to just wreck somebody's car. Yeah. 
and survive a crash, as you said. Mm-hmm. This guy has been run over like four times. He jumps. <laughs> he jumps out of the moving bus into the moving car's windshield, goes through the windshield into the seat, <laughs> and is like, "Hey, you kid." Yeah, <laughs> that's like the one kind of like cheesy like line that, that they really, do. That really is the like. Well, I already burnt Chucky to a crisp, but his <laughs> corpse is still chasing after me. Yeah. What next? Yeah, dude, jumping headlong through a windshield from. Ugh, yeah. That 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 is the one movie like. Okay, this guy is, uh, he's a robot. He's a yeah, killing bot. Exactly. You were expecting, like, there was, if this movie ended with him bleeding on the ground with, like, gears and circuits in his torso, <laughs> it'd be like, yeah, that makes more sense. I, I definitely would have been on board for that, yeah. Yeah, but I really love your theory. It didn't cross my mind. I guess the pieces were all there to put together. It doesn't sound far-fetched in any way. It sounds super plausible. What's amazing is that I hope that's the case, and they opted not to say that, because every other movie would have definitely said like, "Oh, I recognize that man. He murdered his family a hundred and twenty years ago." And like, no, yeah, right? Show we some, get it. Yeah, exactly. Show, Show a newspaper of clipping of an old photo of him or something like that. Like you said, a train robber, exactly. or whatever. That would have been great. Movie didn't with a big ex- Zapata mustache. Zapata. <laughs> uh, and so, if that is the case, and it sounds very plausible that that could be the case, oh, cool. I love that it didn't didn't tell us. Yeah, it let you have that, and it let you because I think there is enough to satisfy the people that just want to see a lot of killing, a lot of killing. There's a lot of, a lot killing, of killing, a lot of killing. There's a lot of big stuff, and so I think yeah. so. I think there's definitely multiple levels to enjoy this flick on depending on your mood Mm -hmm. if you want a psychological intense thriller it's there if you just want some bloody gunplay and explosions like well that's there as well you know there's a lot there's like cycle there's like a silence of the lambs vibes there's terminator vibes there's do there's so many different moods of this flick and i love i think you can enjoy it in a lot of ways and it's stunning to me now after seeing in the theater how it just isn't talked about even more, right? It's def- It's obviously a known cult movie. I believe so. It's it's got like a seven point something on the IMDb. Yeah, it's but, it's not. Nothing. But I don't think it's. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw it when it came out. I don't think it really ever gained that uh, that traction that you know he would find in Blade Runner because it's and Blade Runner wasn't that big when it came out either, but. 10 years 20 years later that became this kind of iconic you know zeitgeist kind of a no-brainer movie so i think yeah i think this one is right up there with blade runner as far as the rutger hauer oh yeah uh, performance definitely this is this is this for me was an all-time great villain performance yeah uh because it honestly i would have liked the movie if you had a bad version of rutger hauer and c thomas howell if this was a low-budget movie and just had two guys who never did anything anymore mm-hmm. and it was just like more of one of our cheapies that we watch sure with some generic villain guy and some generic would have been driver. fun but it would have still been a fun movie yeah but with this one it became entirely special in a different way yeah oh big i am fully on board the howard train after this this was an incredible nice. performance yeah tell us what you think of the uh hitcher tell me what you think of the theory i really want to know if that's a, a dumb theory or um, that was the first i heard of it i, I, I like, need no convincing um but uh yeah thank you for joining us uh we will do more rutger hauer yes we will be back it will come to this again it will it has come to this it's come to this i'm charlie i'm eric we'll talk to you next time thank you